0: To worry about it, just not going to worry about it, and uh, now I guess if I was on my back for a number of days this last time, maybe I'd be a little more concerned about it, but the Lord's blessed so far, so far, and I thank Him for that, I haven't really gotten anything major yet, and uh, I know a number of you have kind of gotten the sniffles, your throat's been messed up, you've got some problems with your respiration, and or whatever that's called, uh, respiration, I don't know if that's right, but anyway, I hope you're feeling all right today. And so let's go ahead and focus our attention now. Let's not worry about what's going on in the economy. Let's not worry about what's happening with gas prices. Let's not worry about what's going on with our illness and sickness. Let's focus our attention today on Jesus Christ and his word. Just so thrilled you could be here. Take your Bible. Turn over to the book of Psalm chapter 34 verse 3 today. Psalm chapter 34 verse 3. If you've looked on our walls and if you were a part of our uh, Vision night, you know that our theme this year is for his glory. For his glory. And so today I'm going to begin a series called For his glory. And we're going to be noting some things along the way over the next few weeks, issues about th- that issue, for his glory. And so we're starting off with our theme verse, Psalm chapter 34, verse 3. Psalm chapter 34, verse 3. Over there, we simply read this verse. It's short and sweet and to the point. It says, "O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Notice again, "O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. You know, there's no doubt that God deserves our very best. He deserves to have the proper place in our life, and that proper place is on the throne of our life. It's number one. It's... He ought to be at the top of the food chain, so to speak. He deserves to be consulted first. He deserves to be exalted first in our lives. We think about that word glory. You start talking about for His glory. Well, what does glory mean? Well, if you'd look it up, there's a number of meanings for it. But when it is in relation to our text or relation to what we're dealing with for His glory, we're going to break down the word. We're just going to look at it very quickly. It simply means it's like glory, to seem. It says, primarily signifies an opinion, estimate, and hence, the honor resulting from a good opinion. Now, I know that sounds kind of crazy. You're thinking, glory glory has to do with signifies an opinion, an estimate, and hence, the honor resulting from a good opinion. What in the world does that mean? Well, again, when we're speaking of glorifying the Lord, we're talking about elevating the opinion, the estimate, or view of God in the eyes of others. We're talking about trying, as we said, to elevate the opinion of others concerning God. We want to, as we said here, we want to elevate the estimate, their estimate of God, their view of His value. We want other people to see God as He see, as He is. We want them to see Him lifted up, magnified, and ultimately glorified. Therefore, to glorify God, we need to exalt, elevate, and magnify the person, the nature, the character, and the acts of God. We're going to elevate those. We're going to lift them up in the sight of others. In the book of Psalms, as we read already, the psalmist says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Again, there's much to magnify and exalt concerning our God, isn't there? There's a lot of reasons to lift him up, to to put him up there before the world. I mean, you can see God's glory in the Old Testament in that Shekinah glory back there. That cloud, that pillar of cloud. And even in the Holy of Holies, you see our God. God's glory can be seen in his attributes and his power as revealed through creation even. His glory can be seen in his mighty acts in nature. His patient dealing with Israel, his people and even in His merciful merciful response to sin in our lives. There's little doubt that His glory shines while we see Him seated on His throne in glory, surrounded and served by the angelic host, as we hear Him described by the cherubims in heaven, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Still, God's glory is primarily manifested in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. That's where we truly see the glory of God manifest. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 verse 14. Look there if you would please. John chapter 1 verse 14. If you have a Bible, it's in the middle about a little bit further to the right actually. You'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And we're going to look at John chapter 1. You just find the beginning of John and go to verse 14. And we read this simple passage We're told there in the book of John, in chapter 1, verse 14, "...and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory." Now again, the Word was made flesh. Earlier in that same chapter, we identify the Word as none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the, who is the Word of God, was made manifest in the flesh... As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy 3.16, the Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. So literally, Jesus Christ is God in flesh. And if you want to see God glorified, you simply need to look at Jesus Christ. He is the glory of God. There's no greater view of God's glory than God himself. And that was Jesus Christ manifest in the flesh. It is in the person of Christ that are, we're given that firsthand view of his character and even the, the those acts. Think about his character and his acts as we consider the New Testament. think about that water that he turned into wine there at the wedding at Cana, and then think about how he raised Lazarus from the dead. Tell me that doesn't bring glory to him that that doesn't glorify him it 's on Think about it on earth, when he walked this earth. Think about his supernatural hand of healing, how he touched those blind eyes and made them see. Isn't it amazing as his voice echoed, the demons fled? And it's amazing to think that with a simple statement, peace, be still, he calmed the raging waters. His everlasting power and divinity And His infinite grace is on display as He takes His place on Calvary. He lays down His life only to rise triumphantly the third day. See Him there standing on the Mount of Transfiguration. And finally we see Him on the Mount of Olives as He is taken up into heaven to sit in the heavenlies. This is God. And His glory is revealed. And there's never been a man like this man. He's the God-man, Jesus Christ. And as it said, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. You want to see God glorified, you need only magnify Jesus Christ. We can't add to the glory of God either, by the way. You can't add to God's glory. But you can do your best to show it off or reveal it. And that's exactly what it's really all about. That's what the psalmist is saying when he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He's saying we're going to do everything for his glory, for his glory. And so as we kick off this series, I want to share three thoughts today concerning his glory. And I just want to try to encourage you and help you a little bit as we prepare for this series. And then we're going to look at specific ways along our journey that we can glorify Him. But today, we want to just kind of start this off by way of summary. So let's have a word of prayer, and we're going to begin looking at this issue of for His glory. Father, we thank You for all You've done for us. Help us, Lord, this morning. Lord, we need You. We ask for Your leadership. Now, Father, fill me and let me be Your mouthpiece, be with Your people. There's nothing that I can do, Lord, to encourage them eternally. Father, I can... Uh, provide a temporary feeling, but Lord, I cannot truly fix the heart. Lord, only you can do that. Help me, Father, and encourage me as, I prepare, as I've prepared and now as I plan to present this message, may it be to your glory, for your honor. we well, thank you as you do your perfect work in our imperfect lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So as we think about this thought of for his glory, I want to share three things about it. Number one, I want to look at the duty of revealing His glory. The duty of revealing His glory. First of all, we exist for His glory. See, we were created for His glory. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, the Bible says, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Again, I've created him for my glory. I want you to know that whether it's a nation, whether it's a leader, whether it's a person or an individual, whether it's you or I today, God has created us for his glory. I want you to understand, again, that he did not create us to simply go to work, come home, take care of our families, go to church, read our Bible, and pray. No, he primarily created us for his glory. Everything else fits within the context of His glory. We are created, we exist for His glory. The book of Psalm, chapter 139, verse 14, says, I will praise Thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are Thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Boy, the psalmist says, I know one thing. I've been fearfully and wonderfully made. But I want you to realize you haven't been made psalmist simply so that you can go out and indulge in the lust of your flesh and to do whatever pleases you. You were created for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to bring glory to the God who created you. We exist for His glory. But not only that, we live for His glory. We're to live for His glory. Not only were we created for it, but God intends that we live for His glory. In 1 Corinthians ten thirty-one, the Bible says, Whether therefore ye eat, or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? What he's saying is this, when you sit down at that meal and you take a bite of food, if you, when you lift up that glass to your lips and take a drink of that water or whatever it might be you're drinking or whatever it is that you happen to be doing at that time, he says you do it all, you do it all, you do it all for his glory. You don't do it just to simply drink that water or to drink that elixir. You don't do it just to take food into your body. You don't do it just because it's something to do. You do it for His glory. Man, I'm telling you what, if we could get through our, our minds and in our hearts the reality that everything we do, everything we say, everything that we take into our body, touch with our hands, and do go with our feet, everything is to be done For his glory. All of a sudden that may change what we hold in our hands. That may change what we let in through our eye gate. That may affect what we permit in our ears. That may change what it is that we do when we really realize that everything we do, say, think, feel, touch, taste should be to his glory. We're to live for his glory. Matthew five sixteen says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we see that we exist for his glory, we live for his glory, and we're to speak for his glory. In first Chronicles sixteen, twenty four says, Declare His glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. Again, we hear it in the book of Psalm, chapter 96, verse 3. It sounds very similar. It changes it just slightly when he says, Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. Boy, the Lord has so many wonderful works, and he is so marvelous. And he says, listen, with that tongue of yours that I have put in your mouth, don't you dare allow it to have cursing come forth. Instead, it ought to be praise and glory for me. How dare we as believers... Turn around and cuss and speak like we used to before we have Christ indwelling us. That's sinful and it's wicked. And it's certainly not a good testimony for our youngsters and our children and those that we tell we're Christian. We say, oh, I'm a child of God. I've been born again. I've invited Christ into my life. He lives within me. And then we'll turn around and use his name in vain. God says that's not how it ought to be. I didn't create you so that you could use the language of this world. I created you so that you could glorify me with that tongue I put in your mouth. We exist for his glory. We live for his glory. And we're to speak for his glory. And you know, it's interesting to me, too, that God makes it perfectly clear that he will not share his glory with anyone or anything. He says, man, that glory that belongs to me, it is mine and mine alone alone nobody, nobody, nobody gets it but me. And you say, well, that's pretty selfish. That doesn't seem very kind of him. It seems he ought to share it and let the wealth be spread around a little bit. No, God don't believe in that wealth being spread around like that. He says that glory is all mine. Because I created all things. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say over in the book of Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to any other, excuse me, to another, neither my praise to graven images. Again, he says, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to a graven image. God says, no, that's my praise. No, that's my glory. And let me tell you, as a child of God, you shouldn't be giving glory to anybody but him. I'm not saying you can't tell your wife or your husband how, much, uh, how special they are to you and how wonderful they are to you. It's not saying you can't tell your kids that they're such a blessing to you and that you truly appreciate them and love them and adore them. That's not what we're talking about. But listen, you don't put anybody or anything ahead of God and you don't give them the glory that belongs to him because it is all his. We see the duty of revealing his glory. We exist for His glory. We're to live for His glory, and we're to speak for His glory. But secondly, I want you to note the danger of rejecting His glory. The danger of rejecting His glory. There is a danger that lies ahead when you decide you're not going to recognize or acknowledge God in His glory. In Romans chapter 1, God shares the plight of those that reject Him and those that choose not to glorify Him. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1, please. We'll spend a moment. We're going to read some verses, and then I'm going to try to share just a couple of things very briefly from the passage. Notice in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. We read there, Apostle Paul writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, This is God's word. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and to four footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen? For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use uh, into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their heart one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I want you to see from the passage the customer who rejects his glory. Who is this man, who is this woman that rejects the glory of God? First of all, notice in verse 21, the Bible says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. What we're finding is that the person that rejects God's glory is a person who chooses to reject him. It is a choice they make. It is a decision they choose for themselves. They choose not to glorify God. It's not that they can't. It's not that they couldn't. It's that they won't. But then also we notice something else about this particular person, at least according to the Bible. According to the Bible, not only do they choose not to glorify God or to reject His glory... But number two, they're ungrateful. Notice he says, neither were thankful. They're ungrateful. Isn't that amazing? We live in a generation of people who are ungrateful, unthankful, unappreciative. We live in a generation where we're raising up our young people and it seems both the culture and the society seem to tell them that we owe them something. No, It seems so many people feel this sense of entitlement today. We're ungrateful for the house we live in. We're ungrateful for the wife or husband we have. We're ungrateful for the circumstance we find ourselves in. We're ungrateful for the vehicle that we have. We always want something else, somebody else, instead of what we have. We're just downright unthankful and ungrateful. If we're not careful, that's where we can end up. So we see that these who reject His glory are those that choose not to acknowledge it, and they're ungrateful. But I want you to see further in verse 21. Not only does it say, neither were they thankful, or were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and they're, notice that, they're vain in their imaginations. Now... What we're dealing with is, we're dealing with a people who are vain, puffed up. They're puffed up in their pride, but they're empty in their spirit. They're vain in their imaginations. What we're finding is this is a person who is a rebel. Oh, I didn't mean a rebel like they go out and they, they, they uh, do horrible, wicked things just to do it. I'm not talking about somebody that stands in opposition to all kinds of authority. I'm talking about this kind of heart, this kind of attitude is exactly what this Adamic nature is all about. You got to understand that the very root of the Adamic nature, the very root of our sin nature is this one thought. I am going to dethrone God and I'm going to put myself on that throne. I don't want God telling me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. That is the very root and the very nature of indwelling sin, folks. And I don't care if you're saved today or lost, you have that heart that says, I want things my way. I want it like Burger King, my way. I want to be able to tell God where I want to go, what I want to do, and who I want to be with. That is the nature of man. Oh, it's rarely that the devil has to step in and tell us to do something wrong because in our hearts, we are all too ready to do it wrong. We want our way. We don't want God telling us what to do either. That's the reality of the fallen nature. And that is exactly what we deal with in the so-called flesh now. These are people who have chosen not to glorify God. They are ungrateful and unthankful and they are rebels at heart. They are dethroning God, and they're assuming that throne, they're assuming the throne of their life. They want it their way, and that is exactly what they're going to get in the long run. Notice this also. Because of that, in verse 21 as well, we notice that it goes on to say, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They're spiritually blind. They cannot see spiritual matters. They just can't see it. Their foolish heart was darkened. Then we move to verse 22. Who is this person that rejects his glory? Well, not only are they spiritually blind, but they are prideful and arrogant. Notice, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They profess themselves to be wise. Wait a second, we're dealing with God now. He is the personification of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. How in the world can you and I ever think that we're more wise than God or no more than God? And yet these in the passage have said, you know what? I do. If that's not pride and arrogance, I don't know what is. Professing themselves to be wise. Notice he goes on to say, they became fools. People who reject God ultimately become fools. People that reject his glory ultimately become fools. You say, what does that mean? Turn to Psalm chapter 14, verse 1. Let's identify the fool. Now we could talk a number, say a number of things about the fool, but in the course of this message, it's very simply summarized in chapter 14, verse 1 of the book of Psalms. Notice the Bible says to the chief musician, a psalm of David. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I'm not saying that people that choose to neglect God's glory are not necessarily well educated. I'm not saying that they don't hold degrees from colleges and institutions. I'm not saying that they don't have a sense of Tremendous mind power and even productivity. What I am saying is, is that their spiritual side is darkened. They are spiritually dead in a sense. They are darkened. They are rebels in their heart wanting things their way, not God's way. They have become so prideful and arrogant because of their puffed up self and their their pro, their, their education even at times or their perceived understanding and knowledge without God, mind you. And ultimately they say... There's no God at all. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen a trend in our culture toward this. I have seen in our school systems and in our universities across America an emphasis on the fact that there is no God today. That is being predicated on the idea that, there, that, that I have enough understanding. I have the education. I, I know what I'm talking about. That's pride, my friend. God has been around a long time, and God is the only reason that we have the breath in our lungs that we have. He's the only reason that we can we can even get from A to B. He's the only reason that there's a car or an automobile out there because He gave mankind the ability to create it or to put it together. I want you to know that everything that we have and anything that we are is a direct result of God who created us. And the the arrogance and the pride to say that there is no God just doesn't belong. And yet that is exactly where it seems that our culture, our society, and our world is headed. So we see the customer who rejects his glory. They choose to. It starts with a choice. It starts with that young person that sat in church one day and said, oh, I, I don't know. I I don't know if this is the direction I want to go. I've decided, even though mom and dad love Jesus Christ, I've decided, even though grandma and grandpa have chosen to receive the Lord, that I know a little bit more than mom and dad. I know more than my grandpa and grandpa. I know more than the past generation. They're not with the times like I am. I don't believe in this Jesus Christ like they did. And they make a conscious decision not to believe. They choose not to glorify him as God. Right off the bat, I will not elevate him in my life. I'll not place him on the throne of my life. I will not give him preeminence in my life. I choose to be my own God. And that's exactly what they say without saying it. And my friend, before it's over with, before it's over with, those young people walk out the door of the church and they don't return. They choose not to. They become ungrateful for what their heritage. They become ungrateful for what God has done in their life. They do not give God the glory for it. They then become rebels in their heart. They become spiritually blind, prideful, and arrogant, and pretty soon they're saying there is no God at all. We see that today in our, in our culture. So there we are now, the customer. The customer who rejects the glory. But let me talk about the consequences of rejecting His glory. Notice in our passage again, verse 24 this time, we're going to note that God gave them up to some things. Number one, verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. Notice it was their own hearts. The devil didn't make anybody do it, my friend. They did it to themselves. You say, but no, the devil didn't know. The devil didn't even need to waste his time with them. It was the uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. Their own heart. There's enough corruption inside of all of us. The devil doesn't need to do a whole lot. We just need to give in to that lust inside. There it is. He gave them up. The Lord gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. Notice what else. Verse 26. For this cause God, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. He gave them up to vile affections. We're not going to take the time to discuss what all these things mean specifically, but what we do notice is that He gave them up. Now, I want you to notice a very important phrase, though, in verse 28 now. Not only did He give them up, but notice this time, God gave them over. Verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Again, we see a progression here. We see a progression from the beginning of chapter 1, verse, uh, what was it, verse um, 21, right through verse 32 now. A progression. Notice here, he gave them over. That reprobate mind, as simply as I can put it right now, is a mind void of God. Now hold on. It's almost like there's a battle that's taking place for these people. That God is battling, he is warring, he is striving to keep them in the fold, to keep them under his authority and power. Strike one. God says, okay, you got that one on me. Strike two against you. I gave you, I gave you up, I gave you up. Strike three. I'll turn you over. I'll give you over to it. It just seems like there's a battle going on. And God says, there's a couple of fronts that I have finally surrendered to. I've been fighting with you. I've been warring with you. I've been trying to get your attention over and over and over again. Enough's enough. Fine. You don't want me in your mind? You don't want me in your life? I'll give you over to a reprobate mind. Okay. You got what you wanted. There it is. My friend, let me tell you something. That's a very dangerous place to be. Very dangerous. You say, why is it so dangerous? Well, because of this last point. I want you to see the corruption of rejecting His glory. We notice the consequences. God gave them over, God gave them up. But I want you to see the corruption that is a result of that. Notice verse 29. We've read it already. But notice this. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Boy, do you see that? Do you see all those things? Now, we just read through those extremely quick, but let me tell you something. Those things destroy lives every day. They destroy families every day. See, what we find is we see mentally they're corrupt. Mentally corrupt. The decision has affected their mind, their view, their outlook in life even. To the point where it has affected them. Now, not only are they mentally corrupt, but now they've become morally corrupt. If you look at the list, you'll see a number of moral, uh, moral um, issues that are, that are certainly contrary to God's word. That decision has affected their behavior. They are now godless in their behavior. And then now they're miserably corrupt. So miserably corrupt that over in verse 32, the Bible says, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them. They are miserably corrupt because now even their life is on a downward spiral, ultimately leading to nothing but death both physically and ultimately spiritually if they don't get some things settled. Folks, there's no playing games with this. Either you choose to glorify God or you will ultimately glorify self. You either put God on the throne of your life, or you will put yourself on the throne of your life. Now, when I say that, someone says, well, not really, I'll never put myself on the throne. Wait a second, let me ask you something. Do you put someone ahead of God? Have you ever let someone else's opinion, ideology, or thinking affect your actions more than the Word of God? You say, well, yeah, but I didn't put myself on the throne. Maybe I made a bad decision to let them help me. No, you chose to go your own way when you knew downright that God had a right to tell you what to do. You decided to let them tell you. You made that decision, and as a result of that, you began a spiral downward. Now, you can either catch yourself before you literally start heading headfirst, headlong, and you can back up and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going to go there. I see where it ends up. Someone says... Uh, I would never cheat on my wife. Someone says, I would never hurt someone without a cause. I would never do what that guy did. I would never do what that girl did. I would never step outside uh, and do something immoral, unrighteous, unethical. I would never do that. If you fail to glorify God and to put him in his proper place in your life, let me tell you something. Never's a long time. We have seen the duty of revealing His glory. We noted the danger of rejecting His glory. But finally, I want to talk real briefly and share as we close the details of relating His glory. I mean, how do we glorify God then as believers? How do we do that? Obviously, we don't want to be those that choose not to glorify God. We don't want to end up in their circumstance, their situation. We don't want to end up corrupted and, and sinful and, 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 and full of, of, of punishable acts in our life, obviously. So how, how do we glorify God then as believers now? as those that have trusted Christ, as those that have made a decision that sin is not the direction we need to go, that God deserves our glory and God deserves our best. First of all, we glorify God when we exalt His person. We glorify God when we exalt His person. We exalt His person when we speak and sing of His goodness, His grace, and His mercy. You have a tongue that God gave you. We are to speak, we are to share, we are to glorify God as we exalt His person. And you do that best by telling others about Him. We tell the world how wonderful our God is and how precious He is to us. There's nothing more power than a personal testimony, is there? Nothing. You say, what do you mean? I'm talking about, you know, that commercial with LeBron James and his kids around the kitchen table. And there he is with that phone, a Galaxy. Oh, not an iPhone, but a Galaxy phone. And there the kids are laughing and having a good time, and LeBron's there with them. And, and the kid draws a little afro on LeBron's head, an orange afro. And everybody laughs, and they're having a great time as a family. You know what that is? A personal testimony of the Galaxy phone. And let me tell you, they sell thousands and thousands and thousands of them because LeBron James uses them. And let me tell you something, the best way for you and I to exalt the person of Jesus Christ is not simply to say, I go to church, or or, I'm just going to go there every week. No, it's to go out to that place where you work. It's to be out there at that restaurant. It's to be dealing with people at the checkout counter. It's to be dealing with folks at the bank and saying, Jesus is good. Man, God's good. I can't tell you what he did. He just answered a prayer in my life. I just wanted to share that with you. And you say, but that's stupid, they'd think you're a nut. No, they would think something about your God. And let me tell you, that's the goal of every believer's life, is to glorify God. You have no purpose other than to glorify Him, and that is how it works. Well, we can go ahead, well, I have a responsibility to provide my family. That is secondary to glorifying God. If you can't glorify God by providing for your family, then let me tell you, friend, you have picked the wrong profession for you. You need to find a way to glorify God. Your purpose in life is not just to provide an income. Your purpose in life is not just to be a good husband. Your purpose in life is not just to be a daddy. Your purpose in life is to glorify God and do all those things at the same time. Those things make you somebody that glorifies God if you do them His way. We are too busy trying to do everything other than what God left us here to do, and that's to glorify Him. Let me tell you, you want to glorify God? You really want to make a difference in the world? You really want to touch the lives of others around you? Then let me tell you, exalt His person. Lift up His name. We're to endorse and glorify the Lord everywhere we go. He saved us. He secured us. He's indwelled us. And he's guaranteed us a future home in heaven. When we think of Jesus Christ, it ought to motivate us to want to talk and share him with others. I still remember being young and in love with my wife. Before we were married, everybody knew who my girlfriend was. I wasn't ashamed of her. I wouldn't have married her if I was ashamed of her. If I couldn't hold her hand walking down the mall, so to speak... If I was afraid that one day down the road I couldn't share time with her and hug her and hold her or put my arm around her in public, I would have never, ever, ever married her. I used to think, what if she grows to be 300 pounds? I did. You may not have thought that way, but I did. She had a grandma that was big. And I didn't, if it ran in the family, I thought I would better be ready. She used to say, I'm gonna be just like grandma, and she'd say the name. And I was like, hmm. I had to make up my mind. Will I be proud of my wife? Will I be proud of her no matter what? And I made the decision, I will. That was a decision I made. What if she's in a car accident, lose her legs? What if she can't do for me what wives do for their husbands? I made a decision before I ever asked her to marry me. It'd be forever. And I would tell everybody about her. Because I was in love with her. How in love are you with Jesus? How many people do you talk to about him? I'm fearful sometimes that maybe we don't love him like we say we do. Because if we really did, I think he'd be on our lips more. I'm just asking, just saying. We glorify God when we exalt his person. Number two, we glorify God when we exhibit his power. You say, exhibit his power, how do I do that? Well, you and I exhibit his power by overcoming sin in our lives. When you have victory in your life over sin, when you serve him faithfully, when you portray a Christ-like spirit, you are exhibiting his power in your life. People see him instead of you. Man, I can't believe how that guy kept his cool in the midst of this meeting we were having at work. I mean, the bosses were really being crazy, and that guy stayed calm and cool, and when he responded, he responded with respect. How'd he do that? I was ready to... Man, I was screaming at the top of my lungs, and that guy just... How'd he do that? How'd she do that? How's come you don't get angry all the time people cut you off? How's come you don't give them a gesture or a sign? How's come you stay so calm and cool in the midst of these circumstances and this situation? How's come you're not all bent out of shape about the gas prices and about Obamacare and about the future of our country? How's come you can still keep your head and your mind in the game and stay calm and cool? Where's that going? And you say, let me tell you. See, it exhibits his power in your life. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Hey, listen, be positive, be productive, be praiseworthy. Don't be cynical, critical, or complaining all the time. But we want to elevate the Lord. We want to magnify Jesus Christ. We want to glorify Him. And you glorify Him by exhibiting His power. And finally, you glorify Him when you express His passion. Or His love, if you will. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Kind one to another. You know what is one of the worst things you can be to your children? Unkind. Oh, you know, well, I provide for them. I put clothes on their back, food in their bellies, a roof over their head. Okay, that's good. You ought to do that anyway. That's just what you ought to do. Uh, You don't need a badge for that. You don't need some kind of award. You're not the greatest dad because you do those things. That's what dads are supposed to do. But you know what, dad? What would be really good is if you'd be kind. I'm not saying that you can't discipline your children i'm not saying you can't growl them a little bit i'm not saying that you can't deal with them and 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 tell them you don't agree with them and then you can't get in their case at times no you have to do that you're a dad you're to protect them and sometimes you need to growl them. sometimes you need to say no sometimes you need to get in their face be kind doesn't mean i didn't say compromising i said kind and not only that but the bible goes on to talk about forgiveness You need to forgive, not just your kids, but what about your mate? What about that wife, that husband that you've entered into this eternal covenant with, so to speak, or at least lifetime covenant? Where's the forgiveness? I mean, you go out in public and people can just tell you're angry at each other. They can just tell that you're at odds with one another. Well, that's a good testament. That's glorifying God, right? No, absolutely not. But I'll tell you what does glorify God is when you walk into a room and people can tell that there's a love and an admiration between the two of you. When the love of Christ is seen in your relationships with your husband, your wife, your children, your family, your friends, your church family, when, when people in the world see that kind of love demonstrating Christ-like love, it glorifies Him because it points to Him. I'm not talking about just doing what's natural and normal and everybody can do this, everybody can do that. I'm talking about doing something that's impossible without the love of Christ coming through you. You know, loving the unlovable, loving your enemies, like Jesus said to do. You know, loving when it's impossible in the world's eyes. That's when we glorify God. So we've seen the duty of revealing his glory, the danger of rejecting his glory, and the details of relating his glory. And if I, Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Do you get what he's saying there? And this is so good as we close. The lost, those without Christ, you know, those that are going to perish in their sin because they have yet to receive a Savior, Jesus, are counting on you and me to glorify him, to lift him up. Otherwise, they'll never see him. Not only are they counting on us, but our families are counting on us. Our communities are counting on us. Our nation is counting on us. We saw what the consequences were to a life lived without glorifying God, without recognizing and acknowledging Him on the throne of our life. We saw that, and we see evidence of it in our culture and our world today. We see a downward spiral of morality that is unprecedented in our day and age. They're counting on us. Someone has to elevate Christ. Someone has to magnify God. Someone has to glorify Him. Or they'll never see their need. But not only that. More important than any of them. Christ is counting on us. The Lord Jesus Christ is counting on you. He created you to glorify Him. See, our theme this year, for His glory, is saying everything we do here at Community Baptist Temple. Everything is for His glory. We're not doing it for self. We're not doing it because there's just something to do. We're doing it because there's a purpose, and that purpose is to elevate, to magnify, and to glorify Jesus Christ. Because there is a world that's dying and going to hell. There are people that are falling by the wayside daily in the Christian ranks. There is a world that is filled with sin and wickedness and has no bearing whatsoever on heaven and home. And they need someone, they need someone to elevate, magnify, and glorify Him. And that's the job we need to do today. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Don't worry, those kids are just playing in the parking lot. They'll be fine. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, watch, all things were created by him and for him. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together for his glory. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we've had, Lord, just to spend some time in the Word. You are holy, sinless, and perfect God of heaven. And Lord, we need to truly recognize how wonderful and magnificent you are. May we, Father, place you on the throne of our life and allow you to have preeminence in our life. May we not allow sin to reign in our bodies or to reign in our minds. May we, Father, yield ourselves to You, surrender ourselves to You, and truly choose to glorify You. Lord, help us to be the witnesses that we ought to be, the testimonies we ought to be. But Lord, first and foremost, before we can take those steps, we need to be the children of God. We need to have received and accepted Jesus Christ into our life. We need to have invi- asked Him to save us, to forgive us, and to allow us to be part of his family. We need to have said, my sin is ever before me, and it is so vile and so wretched, and and as I see myself in your eyes, Lord Jesus, I'm so unworthy, but I cry out to you and ask you to cleanse me and to wash me today. Lord, help us to make the decision to first trust you with our sin as our Savior, and then, Lord, to choose to glorify you as you've called us to do. Father, we love you now and we need you. I wonder today if someone in the crowd, you don't, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands or make any decisions or do anything right off the bat, but I just wonder if anyone in the crowd would say in their own heart of hearts, I do not know for sure my sin has been washed away. I can't say there's been a time or place when I truly recognized that my sin was so wretched and so vile in the sight of God I feel so dirty when I think of God who's perfect. I need my sin washed away. I need to be cleansed. I I just want to come to him realizing that I cannot, could never, get to heaven on my own. He's got to do it because I'm so unworthy. I wonder if there's anyone with a heart like that today that has yet to invite the Lord Jesus into their life or to ask him to save them, forgive them. Because I want you to know this right now. He will do that for you today. He will change your life. But remember, when you come to him, you don't come to him saying, I'm going to keep my life. You come to him saying, I'm going to give my life to you, Lord. When I hand that sin over to you, I'm saying you can have all of me. Father, be with those in the crowd that need Jesus Christ, that have yet to receive him. May they make a decision today to do so. And for the believer today, may we truly make a decision to honor and glorify you in all things, in our speech, in our living, and in everything we say and do. Father, help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed as the pianist begins to play. We're not going to waste a lot of time. We're going to move quickly. So let's take steps now. We're coming to an altar. I've taken a portion of my life and I've said it's going to be mine. I've done things my way, I've made up my mind. What's a priority? What should be first? What I should do? Where I should go? I've not let God direct me. I've made up my mind to be that God. Come on, let's just be honest with it. Even as believers, let's be honest with God. What area? Are there any areas in your life? Maybe you're have, you have a marriage and you're doing things the way you choose to do it or with the wisdom that you have instead of the way God intended. Maybe you're disciplined the way you handle your children. You're not doing it the way God says. You're doing it because you, that's what you think is right. Hey, listen, let's just be honest with God a little bit today. You don't know for sure heaven's your home. Hey, don't, don't run that path down a road that ultimately leads to, I don't care what God says. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to enjoy myself at any cost let me tell you the cost is great don't don't pay the price come to jesus christ have your sin forgiven let christ rule and run your life and your life will be sweeter than ever i'm not saying all your problems will go away but i am saying that he'll give you strength to get through each situation he'll give you this courage to face every day he'll do that